You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, how's it going? I'm so glad to have you back here for this episode. This one was a lot of fun with my dude, Dewey. He's a great guy, and this is a very interesting episode. But before we get into that, I want to update you on my situation. I know last week I was talking about fires and all this crazy stuff, so if you are not following on the socials at the Tone Mob on Instagram or Facebook or wherever else, I get it. Social media is a rough place to be right now, so no worries. But hey, if you feel like being on there, you might as well throw a follow my way. Anyway, I've been trying to do my best to keep people updated on the goings-on with the fires, and basically, it's been a roller coaster ride, and I won't bore you with the details because I'm going to send an email out to the email list, hopefully this week, detailing all of the crazy things that have been going on. It has been so insane, not just with the fires, but with work stuff, with me joining a new network at Sound Talent Media, all this stuff, and I want to keep everybody as up-to-date as possible, but it's just been a lot. And on top of it, I'm still doing my 30 videos in 30 days thing. Of course, because of the fires, I had to take a break there, and then the internet went out a day, so like, I'm not going to hit exactly what I was looking for, but I'm still putting out a ton of YouTube content right now, so if you want to give me a follow over at The Tone Mob on YouTube, you can see all that stuff. Anyway, if you want the big gory details, you can go to ToneMob.com and hit the tab that says Join the Mob, and I will be sending out a, probably a couple newsletters because there is so much to go over, and I think it might be too much for one email. Anyway, fire stuff. So, we're safe. Everything's good. We didn't end up having to evacuate, which is great. I'm still like unloading stuff very slowly and amongst work things, and we're good. Fortunately... Nobody in my family was impacted by this outside of uh, a few family members having to actually leave, but they're okay, and we're back to a normal level, so there was, you know, a bunch of stages. Basically, we went to level two, which was pack your stuff and be ready to leave, and now we're back to zero, which is just normal life, whatever normal life is in 2020. But anyhow, we're safe, and I thank you so much for all of those that sent me emails, DMs. I had messages coming from every corner of the globe in every platform, or excuse me, on every platform that I'm on, and that really meant a lot. We're safe. We were safe the whole time. We were just being cautious and trying to make sure that we stayed that way. So we're all good, and we have something that I'm organizing with a bunch of different gear companies to try to help out those that were impacted by these fires. So stay tuned for all that. It's going to involve gear going to somebody. So please stay tuned for all that stuff. Pay attention on the socials, emails, wherever it's best for you to stay in touch with me. That is where the information will be because I put everything out there as often as I can. So anyhow... This episode is with my dude, Dewey Halpus. He has an awesome podcast called Peer Pleasure. We go over how we met and all that stuff prior to us both ending up on the same network. I won't go into the details because we talk about it right off the bat here. So if you're not subscribed to his podcast, it's really, really good. And yeah, let's get into this episode with Dewey. Dewey. 
Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Tone Mob Podcast, the show about guitar tone, sometimes, kind of, sort of. It's about whatever happens these days. Uh, to <laughs> I'm your host, Blake Weiland, and with me today, I have Dewey Halpas from the Pure Pleasure Podcast and formerly of Portugal the Man. And I don't know, you've done a lot of things that I just simply don't know about. So I'm excited to dig into this a little bit more and see what you're all about. Excellent, buddy. Thanks for having me. Dude, should be a good time. Before we get started, I would like to uh, tell people like our weird like meeting story because <laughs> it's a little okay. bit strange. <laughs> so from my perspective, and you can tell me if I'm if I'm getting something somewhat incorrect here, but uh, so my perspective on it is is this: we started uh, just kind of talking online after I joined the Jabberjaw Network, and. You know, I'd been checking out your show. It was one of my favorite ones on the network at the time and still is, even though we're on a different network now. But uh, and then I went to interview Tepe from Thrice at the Roseland here in, in Portland. And you walked in and we both kind of looked at each other for a minute. I was like, you look familiar, but why do I know you? Because at that point we had never met in person. And we talked for a minute and all of a sudden it was like, oh, you're, oh, you're Dewey. You're Dewey. <laughs> <laughs> and then we had a, a fantastic evening hanging out with Ed and my friend Jess and yourself just nerding out all evening. And it was a, a fantastic memory. And I've been listening to your podcast ever since. We've interviewed some of the same people and it's, uh, it's always a good time to hear a different perspective. And I think you have a wonderful show. You also played in Portugal, The Man, a band that I'm a fan of. And so we have so much to talk about. And that's the uh, that's the view from my angle. What what about you? Did I Dude, miss anything? So that's pretty close. It's pretty close. Like it's well, there was stuff before that. So like, uh, yeah, we've been conversing online and, uh, you know, going back and forth. And I was listening to, I think the first episode I heard of your podcast was the Yvette Young one. She's a buddy of mine. And uh yeah, I think there's a bunch of gear issues or something or something happened. You were like in the rain in the van. And I was just like, I was feeling for you because I've been in that situation so many times. And uh, I, I thought it went really well. So it's like, man, this guy knows what he's doing. And so it was like a, uh, I, I showed up at the show because anytime Thrice is in town, I'm there with them. And, and Ed and I had been trying to do an episode for like the last three tours, but we ended up just talking for hours. And I was like, why are we just going to, why are we going to record this? Like, we'll just, Let's just hang out. And I was like, I saw everybody except for Tepe. And I saw the door was closed at the at the Rose. And I was like, where's Tepe? And he's like, oh, he's in there doing a podcast. And I was like, huh, I wonder which podcast that is. Because it's weird when you're a podcaster, and especially in town, like you you kind of, after a while, you start seeing each other at shows. And and uh, yeah, it's, it's weird. So I was like, man, I wonder what podcast this is. And when we opened the door, I was like, oh, hey, Tepe. You know, he's like, oh, yeah. I was doing this podcast, I think it's called, and I saw you guys, and I, but I didn't recognize you at all. And he's like, yeah, I think it's, it's the Tone the tone Mob podcast. I know that show. Wait a minute. Okay. And then we kind of, that's exactly when we started like looking at each other like, wait a minute. And then the names came together and it's like, okay, perfect. I know who you're, I know who you are. And then, yeah, then we ended up talking to Ed for, through all the opening bands, which I'm bummed about now because uh, a couple of them are coming on the show and I would have loved to have seen them live first <laughs> from that tour. <laughs> uh, but 
yeah, it was, it was, but it was awesome. We were just, yeah, just talking shop and, and yeah, it's good. Yeah. I was slightly bummed about not catching the opening bands because afterwards I went back and listened to Holy Fawn and I was like, Oh, these guys are so up my alley. Like with all the yeah. pedals and stuff and, and their music is like, Oh, this is all kinds of my business. I really wish I would have caught it live. But at the same time, that was one of my, you know, thrice is, is my favorite band. And so I was like, I'm not going to like not hang out with Ed as long as he wants to hang out with me. <laughs> like, I'm, <laughs> you know, like I've been listening yeah. to these guys since I was a teenager and, uh, all the listeners know I'm a huge fanboy, so I was like, I'm not gonna not hang out with him if he's gonna sit down and just chill with me. I'm I'm gonna do that. Uh, so I, I I did, but I would have liked to have caught them. Uh, I'd like to try to get them on the show as well. But their music is fantastic. Holy Fawn is just all kinds of my business. Great band. Go check them out, everybody. Dude, yeah, I can hook that up for you. I think if you'd like to. Um, but. Yeah, the the one thing I'll say about Thrice because they were my favorite band for a long time and uh, a lot of years, and then you know other things came into play, and and I you know started listening to other stuff, and they're still one of my top five bands. But I've been friends with them for so long, but it was so cool to see Ed just hang out and chat with everybody. Like they've always done that since the very beginning. I've had conversations like that that have lasted two and three hours in their van outside the crystal ballroom back in like the early 2000s to a tour bus on warp tour or at the expo center when they're playing with the honda civic tour or whatever uh there's never been a time that that hasn't had that show (laughs) but though but that's the thing there they have no uh uh there's no like barrier between that band and people that like them people that want to be their friend like They'll talk to everybody and everyone's included. There's no, I mean, yes, you eventually every once in a while have to go through a publicist or a manager to get to them, of course. But if you're in the room with them, you're family with them. And it's always been that way. And it was so awesome to see that still be a part of it. You know what I mean? That's the, that's the coolest thing about that band is they're exactly the same. After all the success they've had, they're exactly the same. And everybody I know that that knows them on a closer level like that has said exactly the same thing, which is really cool to hear. And, you know, it's one of those things where people are like, don't meet your heroes. But in this case, like meeting them just made me love like love them even more. Like yeah. <laughs> it was just better. So that was a that was a real treat. But you've gotten to do a lot more like crazy things. I've gotten to do some really, really fun things as a result of doing my show. But you've done similar things way more often than I have. Uh, let's maybe before we get into all of that, let's talk about your backstory, you know, and then, you know, we'll, we'll talk guitars and gear at some point, I'm sure. But I want to know your story because you started, you've been in bands for a long time. You've been in the music scene for a long time. But I remember you telling me, like, it wasn't, wasn't until you started podcasting that you actually got to, like, you know, go hear Ozzy warming up. <laughs> things like that and we'll get into yeah, that later but those. but like tell me your whole story how how do we get here why are we talking today well i i've always been into music since my dad got me into to music when i was a kid listening to uh i used to go with him he did a volunteer radio show once a week uh on the little island we grew up on in alaska and, and um he would i would i was too young i wanted to go with him and he would let me but i couldn't stay quiet uh, when he was recording, he's like, all right, so when this red light comes on, 
you need to be quiet. And I could not handle it. That red light came on and it was like my cue to start messing with stuff. And uh, he's trying to do, he does a show all in one big flow, right? So he'll do, he'll do like uh, his intro and then the song comes in. When the song's on, he turns the recording off for the microphone and we can talk to each other while the song's playing. But it's all done in one long chunk. And he doesn't edit it down or anything like that because he can't at the time. Like it was just, you here you go, press record, boom. So he would have me sit in the record room while he was recording. Uh, so I would just play records. Uh, I mean, everything like from Wilson Phillips to Cheech and Chong to like just and just get exposed to things. And it really gave me a sense of, of like pop melody. There's a lot of pop music in there, a lot of classical music, not a lot of heavy music, of course. But uh, so I, I didn't understand heavy music for a long time. Uh, till my, you know, mid to late teens. So I got into punk rock uh, through a buddy of mine that was in Anatomy of a Ghost with me, uh, Joe Simon. And he he brought over the, the first Green Day records and then the first Weezer record. Just we met in detention randomly. Um, and I had him over to the house to hang out. And he's like, do you play guitar? I was like, no. He's like, do you want to learn how to play guitar? And, you know, we could do a band. And I was like, yeah, that'd be awesome. So he sold me this piece of crap uh, K3 guitar for like 75 bucks it was probably worth 20 bucks and uh we started learning green day songs and so that spawned from there into our first punk band nice guy eddie and we started like booking our own shows all around alaska where we lived because you had there wasn't there was one club called gigs and it was hard to get in there and uh it was just kind of a weird spot but it was a, a wonderful place and anyway so we would practice in the little caesars where we worked we would store our gear above the walk-in freezer. We'd throw shows in the Little Caesars. We got the the cops pulled guns on us when we were trying to load out for a show, thinking we were robbing the place. Like it's it it goes the stories go on for days. But anyways, we had to find our own way, which inspired us more, and we appreciated more what we had when when it was over. Um, you know where we had gotten to by the time we had turned eighteen. We're like, let's move to the states so we can maybe get signed and tour. And this was still just that straight up punk band. Um, and so we said, hey, bye to girlfriends, bye to parents. Hey, we're moving to Portland. And we moved to Portland, moved in with some friends that we could stay with while we got our, our feet wet. And uh, we kind of got into different music at that time, which kind of sent us towards like the screamo genre, which I hate saying that word. But anyway, we started a band called Anatomy of a Ghost. We changed the name brought down Johnny Gorley from Alaska to join and do vocals. I was doing vocals before that. Um, and he had a bunch of songs he had written and like a, this vision and it worked. We got on mp3.com. We started uh, promoting it on there. He stayed home while we went to work and he would just be online with people on AIM, AIM all day, that AOL instant messenger. Oh yeah. And he would be messaging people all day, uh, like fans of the band from mp3.com and just like starting these relationships and just like working it from the ground up and it, it ended up working. Like we started getting like top of the charts stuff with these demos we had recorded in the basement. And eventually Craig from Rise Records got a hold of it and was interested in signing us. But at that point, he was ready to shut the label down. Like he had never recouped a record. He was he was super down on it, but he's like, you know what? You know, I'll sign you guys, I'll put out a record for you. And he hooked us up with Chris Crummett who I think at the time probably made like a thousand bucks to make the record. And Chris Crummett has now, you know, skyrocketed in success, which is absolutely uh, justified because he's fantastic. 
But we went to his old uh, garage, recorded the record, put it out on Rise. Immediately it got bought by Fearless uh, from Rise, and then Fearless wanted to sign us. Equal Vision wanted to sign us. We got money hungry because we were young and starving. And Equal, or excuse me, Fearless offered us like four times the amount of money as Equal Vision. So we signed with them. It was not anything against Fearless, but it was a horrible mistake because they didn't understand what we were trying to do beyond the screamo genre. So when the second record came around, we started like kind of changing the style, going more towards what Portugal the Man became. They hated the demos. That in turn really bummed everyone out. We decided to break up instead of going on hiatus. Then we ended up owing a bunch of money. <laughs> so anyways, oh boy. that's yeah. a long story short. It's uh, we owed a ton of money. Portugal stepped in when they started and Fearless wanted to put out their record. They stepped in and took over our debt and worked that off so we could all be free and clear. So fast forward to uh, a little while later, I started a band called The Burning Room because uh, I was more into playing like aggressive heavy music live and uh, Portugal, the man started doing their thing. And one day I got a call from Johnny and he's like, hey, do you want to do some shows with us in Santa Cruz? We're playing with this band Dredge two nights and they're sold out. And I was like, oh, dude, I'd love to. So he's like, all right, learn the set, come over, practice. And it was just like old times. And then we drove to Santa Cruz. The shows went great. And then I ended up staying on for a few years. So we did like a bunch of full U.S. tours like Poison the Well, Fall of Troy. At that point, Portugal didn't have a lot of pull on who they went on tour with. We were opening a lot of those shows. And... Then we went to Europe, and they're huge in Europe, and so that was an eye-opening experience. Um, and then I got an offer to join Poison the Well. And so I took that offer, but that was the night before leaving for Europe with Portugal the Man. So Portugal the Man replaced me for when we got back. I said, I will do the tour, and I did. And then Poison the Well got a tour and took off uh, while I was gone and ended up keeping that buddy on. So I got back with no job. So at that point, I was like, you know what? I'm done touring. I'm going to get a job, I'm going to start a family, you know, kind of do the real life thing. And eventually, years later, I was like, hey, I want to, you know, get back in touch with a lot of these people. And I miss the creative side of things. And I started hearing what podcasts were and heard a couple. And then I was like, I could do that. And so I talked to my wife about it. She's like, well, give it a shot. And so I did it. And here we are. So and ironically, sitting in the Equal Vision office right now, uh, the show is now signed Equal Vision, so I eventually finally got signed Equal Vision uh, 20 years later. And <laughs> there's the story. <laughs> it's really, it's really interesting because I didn't have all of the the musical experiences that you did, but I was very much a part of that scene as a you know consumer, and uh, you know catching every show that I could possibly catch when they came to town and blah 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 you know total scene kid minus the look uh <laughs> i never did go for the look <laughs> i was a little bit too much of a redneck for that uh but i was definitely like heavily invested in in all of that and i just knew early on that the touring life wasn't for me i was like that just i mean it's romantic it sounds like there's bright patches but it also sounds not very fun <laughs> largely Dude, it's a grind <laughs> so. it's a grind you learn a lot about yourself but it's also uh incredibly taxing on your body 
and your future and everything else. <laughs> yeah, right, right. So I kind of just knew that I I wasn't ever going to do that and uh, still don't really have an urge to do that, although I'm so glad that so many people do or, you know, did pre-COVID, but hey, we'll get back eventually. Uh, but at the same time, I did feel a weird disconnect. Like I just had regular jobs, you know, they were good jobs, but I never really felt fulfilled creatively. I never really felt like I was doing what I was supposed to be doing. And I was obsessed with gear. And so I was like, well, podcasts. I listened to a lot of podcasts. This was like 2015. And I was like, same, same as you. I was like, I think I could do that. That seems like a thing I could do. Without really realizing how hard of a thing it really is to like get people to pay attention. Especially when you're some mechanic. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that <doesn't>, yeah. <laughs> no connections no anything no, nothing like and so i i just kind of started and fortunately people took to it it it's really it's been amazing i'm thank you if you're listening to this right now thank you so much i can't believe you're doing this still after all this time so um isn't but that yeah, the so best like you like the you're like a mechanic i'm a plumber like that's the weirdest. Like I went, I think it was 10 years between touring and starting the podcast where I didn't go to any shows. I didn't do anything. So most of my contacts were pretty much gone or had blown up to the point where you couldn't get in touch with them if you wanted to. Uh, so I kind of started from scratch as well, but it was, I mean, it's just that cool feeling like you're at work. Like I'm at work sitting around a lunch table with a bunch of plumbers that are just like, who are you talking to this week? No way. Like, they freak out and it's like you can kind of dip your toe in that life again if you want and then you can go back out of it. Like it's this, this cool kind of thing that's unregulated and it's just like this – it's just special still. I, I don't know how much longer that will last but it still feels that way at this point. Yeah, nobody I worked with knew I was doing it. <laughs> so <laughs> – <laughs> uh, Because a lot of the early episodes I was recording on the job – so I didn't really want anybody to know. It wasn't a oh, thing. Nice. It wasn't like I was doing anything wrong because I've explained this on the show before. The type of job that that one was, was like you were either running around like an insane person, no time for lunch, no time for anything, no breaks, or you were just kind of waiting for the clock to tick over and the new shift to come on. And people, you know, most of my coworkers were watching fail vid videos on YouTube or something. And I was just like, I'm going to sneak over here and go record a podcast real quick. <laughs> so it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't like a bad thing. Everybody kind of knew that that's just the nature of the job. But yeah. I still didn't really want like everyone to know like what I was doing. It was it just felt kind of weird. But they know now. <laughs> so yeah. here we are. But they wouldn't have cared. They didn't they, they don't know who any of those bands are. The people that I'm interested in talking to, they don't know who any of that is. So it's fine either way. Yeah. Weirdly now, uh, my boss's son works for Stringjoy, which is a company that I do a lot of work for down in Nashville and I'm heavily involved in. And my boss called me. He was like, do you know anybody in Nashville that's hiring? I was like, yeah, I get this guitar string company. And he, now my boss's son works there. So it's kind of a weird <laughs> twist Sweet. of fate. My, my former boss's son. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So guitar stuff i know you're still playing guitar a little bit here and there just for for fun is what yeah. i gather yeah what's your rig look like these days maybe we can go oh, back into the see. history of the, the rigs as well 
Well, yeah, I started I started out with that K3 guitar made in the Philippines, I think. It looked like a Jackson, like one of the just generic kind of Ibanez-looking guitars that everyone has now, like their own custom model, which is crazy. It's like the the like the sharper tele or sharper Stratocaster. Like mm -hmm. if there's you know, you know what I'm talking about. Everyone knows what I'm talking about. Every pawn shop has one right now, sitting on it right now. But um it started with that and a uh, Lee Jackson was the no, it was a crate. It was a 20 watt crate, uh, just regular um, combo amp. That's what I started with. And yeah, from there, we got Joe's girlfriend's mom to buy us this Lee Jackson. Um, I think that's what it was called. It was a half stack, just so we could hear ourselves over the drums and had that forever until we moved to Portland. And I was using a uh, Ibanez Tallman, like the Silver Sparkle Ibanez Tallman. I got at a music store up in, in Wasilla. And I played that forever. And then got an Iceman. The, oh, yeah. The, uh, and so the Iceman was cheap. Like it was like 200 bucks, which wasn't cheap at the time to me. But when we, this ties back to Rise Records. So we played at the Paris Theater uh, for a showcase for Craig Rise. And uh, I was like, dude, I'm going to smash this guitar at the end of the set. And he's going to freak out like he's, he's going to sign us. So we're playing the set and I, I don't I didn't play that guitar at all because it sounded awful. And I played it on the last song and then I threw it into the back brick wall in the in the Paris theater by the, the spot where you load in through that weird alley. And mm -hmm. it shattered everywhere. And I was like, this is so badass. And then. Of course, no one cared. I don't even think anyone saw me do it because I had to kind of go back towards the back of the stage. Super cheesy moment, um, but maybe it maybe it did work. I don't know. But from there, uh, then I started really getting into gear uh, with the Burning Room and uh, Portugal the Man because I was like, man, I discovered Craigslist and didn't have any kids, and I was working for cash under the table at this club I was living at, and. I just spent every dollar I had on gear. So I was really into the sun gear. Oh, so yeah. I have a Sun Solaris right now. I have a Sun Solaris uh, 60 watt tube head, 1964, I think. And Brian Sowers, who does uh, tech work for, um, what's his name? Isaac Brock from, from uh, Sour Sound is his company. Yeah. I had him hot rod it and put a new power supply on it to, to bring the noise down. And that thing is amazing. I love that amp. And I got the the story behind that too is I so I found I bought it from my buddy Aaron Edge, who had a bunch of Sun Gear, and he got me into Sun Gear. He's like, "All right, I'll sell this, but if you sell it, you have to sell it back to me." And I was like, "Okay, cool." I totally didn't abide by that. I got on some hard times in between tours, and I was like, "Man, I'm gonna get rid of this amp." I don't know why I did it. I just did it. Sold it at Trade Up Music. Got like 400 bucks for it or something like that. And went upon my way. Like I had other heads and stuff. And I had like a 5150 block letter. And I liked that. It had more crunch. And I didn't have to use a pedal to get distortion. And anyways, years pass. I'm done playing music. I'm on Craigslist. I see a Sun Solaris. And I look at it. And it has my handwriting on the back of it. It's my amp that I sold what? that was selling for 500 bucks. And so I email, I tell my wife, I was like, I know we don't really have the money for this, but this is like 
send it free if it comes back to you it's meant to be thing and so <laughs> i told her she's like you have to get it like get, call him up let's go get it i was like okay absolutely call him up he you know he lives down by pcc uh cascade or whatever drive down there i look at it it's my amp and i buy it from him. he's like wait a minute you said you were an anatomy of a ghost yeah do you know joe simon and i was like yeah he's a guitar player like He's like, I work with him at RJ Sheet Metal. So there's like all these different connections of how like we knew each other to this amp and how he got it through whatever. So now it's back in my basement right now and I play it all the time. Uh, and I will never get rid of it again for that reason because it came back once. It may not come back again. That's so amazing. My rig is a, I have a Sun 610 cab, uh, like a, the 70s era with the Solaris. And I run that through that. And then I've got a Marshall... Uh, 1960 slant cab, uh, 412 Celestians, and a uh, PV6505 that I'm using as well. So I can blend uh, like the super saturated crunch that those have if I'm playing something heavier or if I want to just get big and loud, I use the Sun uh, as well. So, uh, and then I use like I like the Earthquaker stuff I've really become fond of. So I have like the the Afterneath and uh, the, what's it called? The, um, it's basically a Model T in a box. It's the. Um, oh, the Aquagogogogo? Uh, yes, the I have that for the sun. And that really, really heats that thing up. It's awesome. So that's kind of my rig now. I, I used to have a ton more pedals. I had two pedal boards and I had two full stacks when I was playing with the Burning Room. So I had. Uh, I had a Sun Beta Lee, or excuse me, I had a Sun, the Sun Solaris, then I had a Sun uh, Coliseum lead, and then mm -hmm. a Slave that I ran to two other cabs. And that was like, you could feel your pant legs blowing behind you. And you'd see people in the front row of shows like plugging their ears and headbanging because <laughs> it was so loud. And uh, yeah, that was a, a pain to tour with for sure. And especially in the, the earlier days. So when I started playing with Portugal, the man, I, I toned it down to just that Marshall cab and the Sun Solaris. And I used a T-Rex mud honey for my crunch on that. And then um, a bunch of delays and, and uh, tremolos and things like that. That first Portugal record had a ton of those weird kind of modulation effects. And yeah, so... We all had pretty cool pedal boards at that time. It's nothing like now if you go to, to Johnny's place and see the how many guitars he has now and how many amps and how many pedals are just laying around. <laughs> it's insane. And that's not even the storage unit and the warehouse and everything else. It's it's unreal. But yeah, so that's my rig now. It's, it's pretty simplified. I've got two, two heads, two cabs, a uh, couple pedals, and then I've got uh, my Gibson uh, 80 to reissue 62 i don't remember which reissue it is uh sg that's been broken into four pieces twice and glued oh, back wow. together and it plays like a dream and it stays in tune and i keep it forever and then i've got that custom one i had built uh from thunderbolt guitars which is incredible um that telecaster deluxe that's the aluminum neck that thing is amazing so that's been my rig the last couple years yeah he does those aluminum necks like not like everyone else does. He just kind of like uses a file and a grinder and like, as, at least that's what I was gathering from his Instagram. Is that? Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, he's got a, 
I don't know the tools necessarily required to do that, but there's something he has uh, like a mill of some kind at work that he can use to cut out the basic shape. And then from there, he files it by hand. Um, yeah, I can't remember the name of the tool, but he's trying to sell enough necks doing it this way that he can buy the proper tool to shape it at home and then in the shop and then, you know, file it by hand because that's the way he does it. And it gets, I mean, you can get that neck as thin as you want. It can do so many different things and watching him work on it. And then when you hold it, you just feel all that work that went into that thing, you know, like it's, it's this really cool thing. It looks really, 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 really cool. I want to check it it's, out someday. I was really hoping heavy. we could do this in person and I could check it out, but you know, COVID. So that's great. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, I think it's 12 pounds. Oh, dude. <laughs> so it's heavy. It's, but it stays, it, it's balanced. So if I let go, it's not like a Ricky where the head falls to the ground. It stays mm -hmm. right where it was. And I, I love that about it. 12 pounds. That is hefty. That is very yeah. hefty. And I asked for it to be heavy. I told them you can make it as heavy as you need. Like, I don't have any problem with that because I'm enormous. So, um, the, like the less Paul weight and stuff, it never bothered me. I never really played them, but I always appreciated the way it felt good. Like the guitar was where it was supposed to be. I've never really had a problem with the heavy guitars either. None of mine are like terribly heavy. My customs somewhere around, it's like 9.8 pounds or something like that, which isn't light but it's not it's not terribly heavy but some people pick it up and they're like it's a boat anchor i can't do anything with this and i'm just like i, I don't know <laughs> you sure it feels can. all right it feels all right to me <laughs> yeah i don't know but uh so let's talk about your your crazy experiences podcasting uh, you've had more than a few crazy experiences podcasting but <laughs> yeah there's been a couple <laughs> tell me the aussie story again i want i can't remember exactly how that went Okay, uh, so this is the other thing with podcasting. Like, I've met so many more crazy, like, meeting stories, uh, people on different levels of, of music that I ever, than I ever met really playing music. It took me doing the podcast to get in these situations, which is still weird to me. Um, but the Aussie story is so Mike Mowry, who's running Jabberjaw is one of my best friends and he he hit me up one day and we have a mutual friend in in uh blasco rob blasco from uh white he was in uh, not white zombie he played for rob zombie like i used to have him on posters on my wall uh from guitar world magazine and uh with him and Riggs from from rob zombie's band and then he played with danzig he played with uh cryptic slaughter and now he's the bass player for ozzy so Blasco was got into podcasting and I was helping him and Mike uh, make that managemental podcast and like giving them pointers on it. I named the podcast, like uh, got the music together for it, things like that. So Blasco and I kind of got to know each other through that. And um, so Mike was still managing Refused at the time. And he was we were just texting. We text every day. And he's like, dude, you should come to Mexico City with me. Uh, Refused is playing this festival, Heaven and Hellfest. And, uh, or Hell in Heaven Fest, I think is what it's called. And I was like, dude, that'd be sweet. And then the next text was a plane ticket. And I was <laughs> like, what are you doing? Like, is this real? He's like, yep, I'll see you there. And I was like, uh, that's my birthday weekend. He's like, I know, happy birthday. And I was like, my passport's expired, Mike. And this was like, this was on 
a Tuesday. The show was that weekend. And he's like, I don't know. It's all paid for hotel, everything. Just make it work. So I brought it to my wife. I was like, this is weird. Uh, I think I need to go to Mexico City this weekend. It's paid for, but my passport's expired. She's like, can you get it expedited? I was like, I think so. Turned out to be over $700. But I was like, I have to do this. Like, the, I have to do this. So I did it. I paid the money, got it expedited. The date Refuse played was with Mastodon and, and Deep Purple and uh, who else? Whole, whole bunch of bands. Anyways, FedEx lost my overnight passport in a snowstorm in Nashville, where their hub hub is or whatever. So I get a call saying, hey, it's not going to be delivered. And I was like, well, I have a flight at 10 a.m. to Mexico City. And they're like, yeah, we're really sorry. You may have to do it the next day or cancel it. It's like, this is awful. I just paid all this money. Anyways, they, they found the passport, got it to me in time that I could change my flight. And I got there to Mexico City, I think the about 10 o'clock at night on the first night of the festival. So I get, you know, sh- uh, festival transport. I get picked up in a, in a vehicle in Mexico City. Like a, it's the weirdest thing to still get picked up in a vehicle and taken to the festival straight there with all my luggage. I go to Refuse, Refuse dressing room. They played like six hours earlier. They were already back at the hotel. Put my stuff in their dressing room. Go meet up with Mike. Uh, and we do our thing. We have fun. We go out till whenever, get up and go have breakfast with Blasco. And so since Blasco plays bass for Ozzy, he has the Ozzy pass, which is like the God pass of the festival. Ozzy has his own security, his own plane. He has his own, um, his, his own area. So like Meg, put it this way, Megadeth, Judas Priest, bands like that are sharing green rooms in this area. And Ozzy has his own compound. Whoa. So, <laughs> apparently, wow. Apparently, uh, Sharon flew with him, which she doesn't usually do. They were going on a South American tour immediately from Mexico City. She forgot her passport. So they get there on the Aussie jet. They won't let Sharon off because she doesn't have a passport. Apparently, when you're that size, your tour manager, you have two passports. Tour manager has one and you have one. She doesn't usually travel with them. So the tour manager didn't have one and she left hers on the nightstand. So they won't let her off the plane. She's like, I'm just going to go home, which at that point, I guess Ozzy was about ready to just cancel it because he was so bummed out. And we're like, there's like 20,000 people here. Like, it's that like dicey. <laughs> anyway, she flies private back to L.A. He stays and does the show. So Mike and I have one Ozzy pass. That's all Blasco could get. So we're sharing it. So if we wanted to go back to that area, one of us would take the pass and the other one would hang out in the regular backstage with all the other legends. And anyway, so I get back there. I'm going to go find Blasco before they go on stage. And I get back there, and there's no one back there. Like, there, you see where Ozzy got driven in in these white SUVs. You know he's in there. You walk back in, like, this little area where all the all the walls are, like, you know, eight feet. But the, there's no ceiling. So you could, like, toss things over the wall. Like, it's like a, a changing room, right? Like, it's like a... Ross dress for less changing room and you see uh, there's a bench right behind one of the walls and none of the security is hanging out really and there's no press back there nobody and I sit down and I'm like waiting for Blasco I know him and him and Zach Wilder warming up uh, you know in the jam room and all of a sudden I hear someone like wrestling with something behind the wall and I'm like oh that's weird and then like a phone or something and then all of a sudden I just hear scales 
but it's fucking Aussie doing the scales like behind a paper thin wall. Like I could probably like elbow through it. And I just sat there in Mexico city on a whim, like, here you go, fly with me down here to then sitting on a bench, listening to Ozzy warm up. And he sounds fantastic. And hearing just his voice in a, basically in a room with you is like goosebump inducing. Like I was just sitting there. I can't believe I'm here. And this was on my birthday. So like, I'm in a, in a hallway by myself listening to Ozzy warm up directly behind me, something that people may never hear, maybe even people that travel with them. It was insane. And I was just like, I'm going to take every second of this moment in. And then, so that blew my mind. Like, that, this, like, this is insane. And then right after that, they, they come in, like clear out the place because Ozzy's going to be going for the stage. I get down in the pit like the, the uh, press pit in front of all these 20,000 people. And who's next to me is my buddy, uh, Dennis from Refused, singer for Refused, who I met through the podcast. And we put our arms around each other and we start singing Bark at the Moon in front of Ozzy, like beyond front row in Mexico City on my birthday. And it was like the most <laughs> surreal thing I've ever experienced. And like Dennis and I are just like having a blast and then I ended up getting up. I went to basically Mexico City security is like people and their friends. Right. So I made it through seven different security guards with just a wristband on, got on the stage and was standing right behind Blasco. And it's just me and Barbara Ann, uh, Zach's wife. And that's it. And I look at her. She looks at me. And she looks at Zach and then I'm looking at Blasco and then their stage manager looks over and he's like, oh, comes over to me. He's like, you can't be up here. And I was like, dude, like this passes from Blasco. I'm with Blasco. He's like, doesn't matter. There's no one allowed up here. This is like Zach's wife. You got to go. I'm really sorry. I was like, cool, man. I got two songs up there before he caught me. And then I get back down and, and of course they get whisked off stage and straight to the plane because they don't want the cartel to kidnap anybody from his party. Right. And, um, so I had to say bye to Blasco before they even played. But anyway, so on my birthday, Ozzy's warming up right there. And then me and Dennis singing along at the top of our lungs in front of all these people, uh, bark at the moon as the, as the sun's going down. It was surreal anyway. So yeah, that's the Ozzy story. <laughs> I don't know if that can be topped. I think that's it. That's the top. That's the top of this yeah, the, the podcast solid. story heap. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty solid. Yeah, that's amazing. That's so cool. But yeah, it's it's weird though that because you, you said the same thing. You're like I I've gotten to experience all this stuff from podcasting, but not from music. Which is I mean yeah. it it is music. It's music based podcasting, but. It's we what a weird world we live in now. It's so yeah. strange. And we're not journalists. Like I'm not a journalist. I don't have any any aspiration to be a journalist or press. Like I don't want to go talk about your new record and I don't want to go, you know, ask you how the tour's going and it's so hard to make people either believe that or understand that. So you just want to show up and talk? Yes. Well, okay, you can have 15 minutes with them. I don't want to do that. Like right. I've I've turned down uh, I've turned down I turned down Mark Morton from Lamb of God because they were only gave me 15 minutes. I said I'm not going to waste any of our time. I turned down Ace Freely 
because like I'm not going to get anything in 20 minutes. Like I need I need longer than that. And I'm not, I, I said I'm not going to like roll you over the coals for it, but I'm just going to tell you right now I'm just going to bow out because I can't do anything with that. And it's such a weird thing. They're like, well, thank you for being respectful of our time. I was like, no problem. And when he has more time, give me a call. And then they start to kind of understand a little bit like, wow, okay. It's not just trying to get them on the phone and then hold them there for, you know, an hour with a 20 minute schedule. And, uh, cause no one's in the right mindset with that either. It's just a tangent, but, um, yeah, I, I don't feel like we are press, like, like in the typical sense, we're just kind of capturing the human experience, you know, through a focused lens. That's why I had to change the description on this podcast because it, for years I had the wrong description. Like I had the same one that I wrote when I started and it made it sound like we're going to only talk about the intricacies of gear. And sometimes we do. Sometimes that is what happens. But more often than not, it turns into this, which is what I prefer anyway. I love gear. I love talking about gear and nerding out on things. But more than anything, I'm interested in the people and yeah. what they think about what they're going through right now. Like I, I think about podcasting as this it's this wonderful thing. And I was trying to explain this to somebody the other day who, you know, they were not a Rogan fan. We'll just put it that way. And I get it. Like, I understand he's not for everybody. But I thought, you know, isn't it cool, though, that you can sit down and be a fly on the wall for a three hour conversation with Mike Tyson? That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like, yeah, or hit, listen to James Hetfield talk about bees. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. Like, I mean, that's what podcasting is so great, or why I think it's so great, is for that. You could never do that ever in any time in history. You couldn't sit down and listen to these people that are, you know, they're not any better than you. They're not, like, any cooler or different, but they have such a unique, unique life experience, and hearing about it is so fascinating. But yeah. that's what makes podcasting wonderful. I've never, I couldn't do a 15 minute episode. I've done one short episode and it was, it was good, but it was like, you know, it was short because of me and I hadn't really established what I'd wanted to do at that point. It was also part of a bunch of short episodes. So it's a little bit different, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I like long episodes. I like three hour podcasts. I don't do them here because I, I try I think the hour is a nice blend of being res respectful of the guest's time and you get enough of the the meat and potatoes of the conversation so I oh, think that's sure. the sweet spot yeah. yeah I agree and I just let it roll just whenever we're done we're done like it's it but for you know a lot of times you can get what you need in that hour like if I can get 45 minutes I can make something happen but it's you know you got you have to the person has to start trusting you to talk and you know, and if they don't come out the gate that way, which a lot of people don't, and then you have to establish that rapport and that interest and let them know you're interested through, you know, the conversation itself. You can't just say, hey, man, I really want to hear about this. You got to you got to work for it. And you need a little bit of time to do that. And 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 anyone who goes into a 20 minute interview is not in any mindset to have a conversation. They're no, just there to get the talking points in. Exactly. That's why the Patreon episodes end up sometimes being better than the main episode which is a, you know, a little bit unfortunate, I guess, for everyone who isn't a patron, but it works great yeah. for the patrons. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, because by that time, you're really warmed up. You really know how the other one is. You have an idea of how they're going to respond 
you know, and the inflection they're going to give and how you should, you know, kind of bat it back to their court. It's really a strange, it's a, this conversation isn't really a whole lot different than one I would just have with a friend on the back porch, but you are thinking about it a little more closely. It's a very, it's a very cool thing. And I think it gives you and I an opportunity to share in so many people's different perspectives. Like I am a different person because of this show. And I think that's for the better. Like I understand people's points, points of view so much better than I used to. It's because I really practiced listening. I didn't do that before. Exactly. Exactly. That's the point. That's the whole thing is listening. You're a host. You're talking. You got all these rad microphones and this, this, uh, you know, awesome setup, but you're talking the least, you know, like you're listening more. You should really spend more on the headphones, I think, as a host, because you're, you're really listening and absorbing, you know, uh, what they're, what they're saying. Yeah, and if you don't, you can't really respond very well. And then the show gets all clunky and blah, 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 blah. You know all the problems. You've, you've heard oh, them yeah. before. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So without getting into like the details of, of the deal and all this stuff, and you can tell me to pound sand if you don't want to talk about it, but you are the first po- podcast I've ever heard of that has been signed to a record label. Maybe there are others, and I'm just not aware, but that's news to not. me. <laughs> There's not, man. It's uh, it's something so like I was saying in the original story of passing on Equivision back in the early 2000s. One thing you see from there uh, is you see who's genuine and who's not, right? Like you see. So when Equivision came to us, I think they. So I can talk numbers; it doesn't matter. So Fearless offered us 75 grand and a van brand new non-recoupable to sign with them for two records and equivision offered us 15,000 and an Atticus van at the time that they would let us borrow to tour so they knew back then that we're a young band uh we had some fire under us and some some buzz I hate that word but we had some buzz about us and they knew what we needed we needed a little bit of money for gear a decent budget for a record at the time, which would have been what five, seven grand, and then uh, a van to tour, the means to tour. But they they knew also we didn't need close to a hundred thousand dollars in debt, and we didn't need uh, you know all this stuff. Like what we needed was the, enough to get by and be better off for it. We were young and we said, you know, uh, well, we're going to go with Fearless because they're offering us all this cash. So after that, like, you know, the Fearless guys came to one or two shows. Dan was at every show. Dan from EcoVision was at every show he could get to physically, even though we didn't sign with him because he believed in us. He liked us and was a genuine fan of the band. And I saw that and I immediately knew like this guy, we should have signed with EcoVision because this guy is family, right? Like he, he, if he likes something, he likes something. It's not, hey, I want to make a bunch of money off this. I want to support this. And he came to every show. And we could it was anything we could do to get fearless people to come out. And this isn't anything against them. They were busy and and I mean that they run things a different way. But Equivision has always been this family label. Like for you know, not holding on to people that want to leave for some reason, like you know, paying people on time, letting people explore what they want to explore. Anyway. 
I've always admired that. I used to go to the record store and try to find the records with Equal Vision, that Krishna logo on the back, because I knew it would be good. And I love just the aesthetic of this simple little logo on the back of a record. Just was so, something about it aesthetically was awesome to me. And I was like, man, someday I will have something on Equal Vision. And I got to work with them with Portugal the Man because I was on, they were on Equal Vision when I was with them. But they took the chance and, and started putting out more Portugal stuff and, uh, you know, again, supporting us in whatever we did. So when I started the show, uh, Dan had hit me up. He he listened to some of the podcast. I, I can't remember who it was with. Someone from EcoVision. He checked out the podcast. And I hit him up. I was like, dude, come on the podcast. And he wouldn't do it because he just doesn't do interviews. Like, it's just not who he is, right? And finally, when he came around to thinking like, hey, I should do Maybe people want to hear what I have to say. He hit me like, I want to do it with you. And I was like, dude, that's huge to me. Like, that's amazing. Absolutely. So he came to town. We went to the hotel and did a really great interview. I was like, do you know, just, just be calm. Just let me, let me drive. Like, we'll just, we'll, we'll get through this. Cause he was kind of nervous about it. And, um, not wanting to, he didn't want to sound, you know, he, of course you don't do a lot of interviews. You're totally nervous when you do your first one. And uh, it, it just felt, it, I didn't have to drive at all. We just sat in the hotel and talked. And the episode came out really well. And I was telling him like, there's all these podcasts out there. Like, uh, I need something like a title sponsor, like um, Turned Out a Punk, right? Presented by Vans. Vans mm -hmm. basically told Damien, stop paying for what you're doing. Just do what you do. Have who you want on, but don't pay for anything anymore. And so Dan's like, what if, what if we did that for you? And I was like, what? He's like, what if we signed the show as like a, as a band and worked it as a band with COVID going on right now, no one's touring. This is our avenue to really try something new. And I was like, dude, that, I don't think that's ever been done before. And it hasn't. And people are still confused by it. But what we've done is we have assembled a team of people that, work around music to push a podcast that is mainly about music. So we have the, the social media team. We've got the art department with Alan Ashcraft, who took the vision Dan and I had and turned it into a reality, right, of the rebrand. I sent it to Alan. It comes back the next day, done, ready to post. We have a social media person that comes in and, and like posts all the stuff. Uh, on time and we strategize, we have meetings every week to discuss what we're going to uh, do, what episodes we're going to put out that I've already got in the can. And we have a, like a family team behind the show, which makes more sense than anything. And I'm surprised it's never happened before because they also don't care. Oh, this week's guest is on Fearless. This week's guest is on Warner. Who cares? They don't care. They're promoting what I'm doing because they believe in it. And that to me is huge. And that's kind of what started this whole thing. And so I was prepared to tell Mike that hey, I'm going to leave Jabberjaw and go with EVR. And that's when he said, hold on, let's see what Sound Talent is doing. So we made a, a deal that works with both parties to use Sound Talent as the, the pipes, basically, and Equal Vision as the, the machine. Um, and so now we have people from both sides working for the show, which is absolutely phenomenal. I mean, I, I think I send at least, you know, three or four thank you emails or texts every day to the team for like, man, you busted your ass on this. Thank you. You know, like I appreciate so much of what's going on. Um, 
I think labels sometimes are, are weird about that stuff because a lot of times artists can be really uh, abrasive and like blaming them for something not working out or getting chewed out on the phone. Um, but just seeing how much work people are putting into this thing that I started just talking into a microphone uh, four years ago makes me want to tear up. Like it's, it's crazy. So everything just happens as it should, just like you would with a band. And it makes complete sense. From the outside, it's like, huh, that's interesting. But when you're in it, it flows. And it's something where Dan has taught me patience and whittling things down in a small way, like breaking things up over a couple weeks instead of slamming it all. And everything just happens nicely. And it's so cool. So that's kind of the gist of the deal is, is uh, you know, they cover my costs and, and some gear stuff and, and but then we, we, you know, work together on advertising, work together on all the monetization, but growing the show is most important. And that's what we've been focused on. And it's working. Like when Chino came out, it blew through the roof. Like it was like, what the hell? Uh, like numbers we'd never seen before. And I was like, there's no way this is just because it's Chino. No offense to Chino, but I've had guests bigger than Chino and they did just as much as everyone else. But I think the partnership and the rebrand and everything really hit at the same time that it got some fire. Yeah, I think that that's what some people don't really, you know, understand about podcasting specifically. It's like, yes, having a, a heavy hitter guest that has a, a lot of, you know, name recognition is it's never a bad thing. What I thought early on was like getting those type of people would be a game changer. And it's not. It's you have, not at all. It's not even kind of. It's just like, okay, that episode saw a little spike. And uh, we got to keep on keeping on. It's the consistency. It's keep coming back. Keep providing quality stuff for the people who really enjoy it. That's what drives the thing. It's not yeah. getting, you know, the ghost of Elvis Presley on the show it's not that's not gonna matter that much or maybe the ghost of elvis presley would matter maybe well he doesn't have an instagram so he wouldn't post it either so all you're gonna get it to is your people anyway that's you, true you have to get people and this is where it ties together you have to get people on board with you and then everything else will fall in place and that's what happened with equal vision where they said we like what you do like the way i do it is why they like it they want to hear me talk to so and so which is not to toot my own horn, but they, they like the way that I do it. And that's why they got on board. So also Chino hit me up on Instagram as a fan of the show and asked to come on. I did not reach out to him. So the fact that that conversation was a real conversation between two fans, right? I'm a fan of his since the day one, the first record. He's been a fan of mine for several years listening to the show every week, but the way that came together was because he liked the way that I talked to people, that he felt comfortable, that he wasn't going to get lambasted and ask the same questions and put out there for all the media to pull sound clips from. He just wanted to talk to somebody. And I'm in town and he listened to the show. So when you sell people on you, they'll come back for whoever you're going to have on the show. That's why Joe Rogan can have, uh, and I'm not comparing myself to Joe Rogan. He's beyond, far beyond anything we've any of us are doing, but he can have a college professor talk about something that necessarily may not be of interest to an MMA fan 
And then he can have MMA fans listen to that episode because it's Joe talking to them. They become like the conduit, like Matt Pinfield would for bands he necessarily didn't like. He, he saw it as being a conduit between the band and the fan. And that's kind of what it becomes is, is you sell them on yourself and they'll listen to whoever you have on. If you have, uh, you know, say Ozzy came on the show, he's not going to put it on his Instagram. He's not going to put it anywhere. You're only going to get the Ozzy stuff to the people that you already have. And, you know, like Shavo from uh, System of Down was on today. He actually shared it to his personal Instagram, which was, I think, 238,000 followers. Chino didn't post it. I didn't want him to. Deftones didn't post it. Didn't need to. Like, it came out the way it came out. And that's uh, something I've picked up over these four years of, of what it actually boils down to is you have to do the job yourself and, and sell people on that. Yeah, you do. I mean, you know, it helps when people share, obviously. That, that's very important. It was actually very important for me even gaining any traction early on is that these pedal companies would actually share the show because they need the traction too. You know, they yeah. need yeah. another piece of content for their audiences to listen to. And so that was really crucial for me, especially early on. But as it's, as it's, you know, progressed, it has been more just about giving the good stuff to the people that tune in for what you are delivering. And that's what I try to do. I try my hardest to make sure that it's the good stuff. That's why, you know, I got ads at the beginning, I got ads at the end, and the rest of the show is, is the show. I get yeah. it. Ads are annoying, but we got to eat. <laughs> so Sure, but you make them fun. Like, you make them fun. It's you doing the ad. It's not, uh, you know, listen to Starbucks or go get Starbucks or whatever. It's it's you. You're doing the ad. People listen to the show because of you, so they'll listen to the ad. I bet you more people listen to the ads that you do than would have skipped it if it was someone else. You know what I mean? Because it's like, yeah, it's Blake talking. Like, they'll they'll listen to it, at least. I listen to the ads when I listen to your show, because I, it's you, like I, it's part of the show. You know, I, I may be interested in the product. I may not, but it's just like, you're talking to me, you know, uh, that's where, you know, you got it. And if it's my voice saying it, it's, well, first of all, I don't do automated, like, uh, pre-roll stuff. I do do automated post-roll stuff because I don't know, at that point, I figure people have gotten everything out of the episode they're going to get. And if uh, American Airlines wants to tell them about something, they can turn it off if they want to. It's not interrupting yeah. the show. You know what I mean? And it'll put .0002 cents in my pocket. So <laughs> <laughs> whatever, you know. But I'm not going to do that uh, at the beginning. If you hear my voice talking about something, that's because I have some knowledge about it and, and care about it. I'm not ever going to promote something that I think is garbage. I might promote something that seems unrelated, but it, it's not going to be garbage. That's really important to me. Yeah, no, I, and I believe it, dude. I, I hear it when I listen to your show. Like it's, it's, uh, that's, I mean, I, I listen to the ads, you know, cause it's you saying it. So I want to hear what you have to say about it. Right. Like I don't, I don't, even if I don't care about what the product is or even know what the product is, a lot of times I'll go check it out anyways, you know, or that's, or I'll go to the YouTube. And, and watch the YouTube demo or whatever. You do something like that. Like it's, it's, that's where you're getting people, right? Like it's, it's good stuff. It's well, thanks man. I appreciate it. It's a, it's fun and it's fun trying to do it the right way. That's always the goal, right? Just do yeah. it the right way. Well, we have eclipsed that hour mark and I still got a couple questions to ask you. Okay. <laughs> so first of all, 
This is your chance to put up a billboard, say whatever you want to say. If you got a message you've been trying to get out to people, especially maybe some new folks who don't know about you or just anything you want to say, here's your opportunity to do it. Well, I, I thank you for the opportunity to do that. And, and I, I, like we talked about a minute ago, like I've had this incredible opportunity to, to sign with Ecovision Records and, and uh, Sound Talent Media, which you were on as well. And I'm just incredibly humbled by the amount of power and uh, work and, and sweat that has gone into helping this show uh, grow from something that I'm just doing with a microphone to something much bigger. And so, you know, thank you to, to that team uh, on Equal Vision and thank you to the Sound Talent, uh, Sound Talent Media team as well. Um, it's just been an amazing thing. But the one thing I want to say to people that haven't heard my show, and I say it on the show all the time to, to guests, is if you want to know what somebody does, you can go to Spotify, you can go to the record store, pick it up, listen to it. That's fine. If you want to know who someone is, listen to my show. Uh, because we try basically the whole idea behind the show is to take someone of, uh, you know, even a, a meager stature in the entertainment business to a platinum selling star and break them down into real world, real person deal where we're talking about, you know, uh, regular things that puts them on a level where people could understand them and, and see a different side of them. So. Um, that's kind of the gist of it. So the show's on, on, uh, on Ecovision Records and Sound Talent Media, comes out every Tuesday. Well, I, po I post it at 9 o'clock Pacific on Mondays, uh, so at midnight uh, on East Coast it comes out. And we've got a bunch of big stuff coming up and uh, should continue to go that way. We've got, I think we're booked out through October. So, um, yeah, it's just been an awesome ride So and, and meeting you through it and your show and uh, all the stuff we've talked about and tips and tricks and, and all that stuff has been awesome too. So uh, thanks to you as well. Right on, man. That was beautiful. All right, here's the first classic question. What is your favorite boss pedal? Oh, favorite boss pedal would be the DD5. Uh, the DD5 delay pedal is you could always find, so if you ran to hard times, you could sell it for a hundred bucks. If you needed one, you could find it for a hundred bucks. And it's got a external tap tempo input on it that it, that, uh, the other ones didn't seem to have this, like the DD six and the DD seven, there was all this weird stuff. Like the, the DD three was awesome, but the DD five had all that stuff and the external tap tempo, which I could really have fun with, uh, especially if we we're playing the song fast, playing the song slow wanted to do some like fluttery kind of stuff and it always sounded great and it was simple to use and as far as boss pedals go like that that would be my favorite hands down right out the gate dd5 good boy good choice on the dd5 i i really need to explore i've, I've played a dd3 quite a bit but i need to explore more of the dds so i can get a feel for which one is is my pick because i don't really know yeah but I love boss. Start so. with the five, man. Start with the five. Get one of those little, uh, uh, I forget what they're called. They're little cheap, like keyboard, uh, expression pedals. And you can use that as a tap tempo. And, uh, yeah, it's awesome. You can have fun. Good stuff. Good and stuff. you can do it. You can do the tap tempo with the pedal off. That was the other thing that sold me on it is, is you didn't have to have it on to start working the tap. Oh, that's really cool. I didn't yeah. even think about so that. You could, 
you, that was the main selling point with the tap tempo was, was I can do this before I engage the pedal. Right. You can listen to what your drummer's doing, get yep. it in, in gear and then take off. That's beautiful. Good to yeah, know. There's always a, a DD five on my board, regardless of how many delay pedals I have. All right. This next question, I'm really excited to hear your opinion on because you're local and I can, I can explore and then we can discuss this further in depth, but what is your favorite kind of pizza? Man, I'll tell you right now, my favorite kind of pizza is, it used to be right up the road from here. It was Rocco's pizza on Burnside and it was the, uh, Canadian bacon and pineapple. I loved that pizza. I used to walk, I used to live at this club called Loveland on the East side and I would walk downtown every day just for something to do between shows. And I would buy two slices of that massive pizza and eat one and bring them back the other and throw it in the fridge for later. And I, that was one of the first places I landed in Portland for pizza was Rocco's. Um, so yeah, that, I mean, easily the Canadian bacon and pineapple at Rocco's, which no longer exists. So now, uh, I'm pretty into, um, my buddy Bryce Hooper has a place called, uh, secret pizza society. Uh, and there it's a vegan pizza place, but it's pretty tasty. I got some for my wife for her, uh, uh, dinner the other night and it's pretty good. So, uh, that's a good spot, but yeah, uh, sizzle pie of course is a classic in Portland as well. You can get whatever you want, but I like the, uh, the, uh, Don Caballero. Sizzle pie is the classic. Have you ever been to, it's, I think it's closed right now, but have you ever been to checkerboard pizza? I have not. I've never even heard of it. Checkerboard is a offshoot of Ken's Artisan, but it's more like New York style. And it is inside the Pine Street Market down there uh, next to Kells. And oh, okay. Yeah, so it's like a bunch of different restaurants in there. But Checkerboard yeah. is my favorite Portland pizza right now, I believe. It's so good. They're just their straight cheese slice. It sounds like it needs more, but they have other fancier things you can get. But like last time I was there, I got their cheese slice and I got whatever their special was. And I was like, mm -hmm. oh, this special is going to be good. And I ate it and it was delicious. But both my friend Jess, who you met, he was there with me yeah, as yeah. well. And we were like, we we're both like, man, we should have just got two cheese slices. These are incredible. <laughs> they just <laughs> nailed the balance with it. It's so good. So if that place yeah. opens back up, we got we to go check that out. Absolutely, man. I, I know Tepe had talked about this, but the, the, the simpler pizza is, is always usually the best. Mm -hmm. He likes that, like that white pizza or whatever. The, the, but the simple ingredients and the ingredients are good and it's done well. I mean, it, it's, a, it's why it's lasted this long as a staple food in many diets, not just the American diet, but like it's just a simple, beautiful thing it that is. everyone can enjoy. It is, and I've yet to have a guest tell me they don't like it. I know someone's going to, and I'm just going to have to delete their entire episode. But uh, yeah, just cut <laughs> off. Just like, well, this is. I'm sorry, we can't publish this. This is unacceptable. Yeah. It's not on brand. Going through a tunnel. Click. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, right on, man. Thanks so much for coming on and sharing your story. That was a lot of fun. Dude, you bet. Thanks for having me. Of course, we'll have to do it again sometime. Hopefully in person after I get to play your guitar. Yes, absolutely. All right, everybody. For Dewey, this is Blake. And as always, folks, good luck and good tones. All right, folks. I hope you enjoyed that episode. I know I did. And 
we went into even further detail over on Patreon as we normally do. So yes, if you like this show, if you like the content that I'm producing, you can go over to patreon.com slash tone mob, where for five bucks a month, you can get extra episodes right to your ears. And a lot of them are even better than the main episode. Oh, I said it. I said it. And I won't take it back. There are some real gems over on the Patreon feed, and it literally, quite literally, helps keep the lights on over here. It pays for my electric bill currently. And, uh, well, right now we're just a smidge over the electric bill. So, like, the electric bill and, like, a couple cups of coffee. So, I really, really appreciate that. It It's so... I mean, I can't even tell you. Through 2020, the support has only grown over there, and... It means the world, and if you would like more content, that is the way to get it, because I am putting out as much as I possibly can right now, and that is the only place where there is bonus. So, patreon.com slash tonemob, and if you like the show and you want to help support in another way, like maybe you're going to buy a guitar, which, let's be honest, if you're listening to this show, there's a good chance you're going to be buying a guitar or guitar-related thing in the next few and the way to support the show would be to buy it through tonemob.com slash reverb or tonemob.com slash sweetwater. If you're going to reverb.com, you're going to look for a sweet deal. Go to tonemob.com slash reverb and a little bit of that purchase is going to come back and help support the show. And when I say support the show, I literally mean help me buy my groceries. <laughs> Go to tonemob.com slash sweetwater if you're going to buy from sweetwater and you want that sweet 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 customer service that they are known for a little bit of that will come back and help support the show as well so thank you to everyone that does that i know we're all gear hounds and sometimes it's easy to forget about that stuff but tonemob.com slash reverb and tonemob.com slash sweetwater are the places okay that is enough of me i hope you have a good week please stay safe out there folks and i will talk to you very, very soon. Later. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to tonemob.com stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things, and by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is tonemob.com stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple, and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstreet as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got 
three different guitars that now have Gun Street harnesses in them, and I cannot be happier. So go to GunStreetWiringShop.com and check them out.